sometimes a little more my bloody podcast <laughs> hello everyone and welcome to another edition of my bloody podcast we are so excited for this episode today it is episode number 37 in a row We'll be talking about They Live, uh, one of the ultimate horror movies, and uh, John Carpenter's last '80s film. Uh, and we uh, we were just we're just so excited for this episode. It is we're we're in uh, Texas right now, or some of us are in Texas, and it is very cold. It's like 20 degrees here, and uh, yeah, it is it's insane. But I'm Brian Kluger uh, again. This is my bloody podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. And Google Play, everything else, and I'm joined by, of course, the the man with the chainsaw fingers, the mask on his face, Preston Barta. How are you doing, sir? Doing well, doing well. Uh, so yeah, we have we have special guests on the show. These these are these are legends uh, in the in the music and the vinyl industry right now. We have Spencer Hickman and Mo Shafiq joining us today. How are you guys? Hey man, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm super good and stoked to be on the podcast. Yeah, we. Yeah, you, you, you were saying it's cold in Texas. Uh, down here in Austin, I'm, I'm only about three hours south of you. It's like a nice, like 65 degrees outside, but I hear that the cold front's coming. So you're just uh, ominously foreboding my <laughs> evening for the. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it uh, got. And you guys, you want to, you want to come to Margate? By the sea, it's cold in the UK, right? Uh, uh, believe me. So, so the only guy here uh, in Austin is living the life in the weather right now. All of us are very cold, but we won't let that stop us right now. Um, but uh, Spencer and Mo, these are guys that have been working with uh, music and records for so long. Spencer, you would probably know uh, from Death Waltz, right? Yep, I've uh, founded Death Waltz in 2011, um, joined Mondo in 2000, end of 2014, uh, and then yeah, me and Mo have been working together ever since. That's coming up on our five year anniversary. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. No, oh, do y'all have I'll anything get you a nice planned? Gift. <laughs> <laughs> anything planned for Valentine's Day for this five year anniversary? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want to get Mo's hopes up. <laughs> I'll only let him down, man. Uh, and, and Mo, you're the record label manager, right? That's correct. Yeah, I've been with Mondo for about uh, coming up on eight years, starting in like 2011. I started as a general manager um, before there was even a record label. And I remember when we did our first record release in September 2011, it was Jay Chataway's Maniac. Uh, our then CEO of the company turned to me and was like, Hey, you like music, right? And I was like, Yeah, that's a loaded question. Uh, and, but he had known that I had worked in the music industry a little bit before uh, coming to Mondo, and and he was like, Yeah, how would you like to, uh, you know, manage soundtracks at Mondo? And I was like, Cool, sounds good. And then like had a like near panic attack because I had to like figure out how to run a record label without any experience in the past doing so. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's uh, the timeline for me. No, that that's really cool because you know records and vinyl have made a big resurgence over the last, I would say, like eight to ten years, but more so now. And with Death Waltz and Mondo, 
you've really cornered the market on badass soundtracks and like maybe even cornered on horror soundtracks, which we're seeing a lot of re-releases and new ones coming out, which, you know, for people like Preston and I are just huge fans. And that's like all we want to do is listen to horror soundtracks, really. And it's just so cool that you guys are in this business. But I'm curious, um, you know... I know a little bit about the the record and the vinyl production. I know it can take it's tedious. It can take a long time because there's not a whole ton of record pressing plants out there. But in regards to this new amazing re-release of "They Live" from John Carpenter, um, what is like the process? Can you walk us through kind of like you know I want to get the rights again to this, or how do we go about this, and how do we get the artwork, and how how can y'all talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the um, I mean, Death Waltz obviously released They Live about four or five years ago now. Um, so we dealt directly with Alan Howarth because Alan owns the rights um, to the soundtrack. Um, and then we just kept it in press. We repressed it twice. And then it's been out of press for a few years. And um, I was talking to Alan about, you know, potentially repressing it, but trying to do something new with it. Because, you know, since both labels started, there's a huge influx of people who were not around when these first few releases. Um, so I haven't had a chance to buy it. And the only way you can buy it is on the aftermarket, discogs, etc. And, and, you know, it's an expensive record. Um, and we just came up with this idea that we were going to repress it, do new artwork with it to make it fresh. And um, Alan Hines, me and Mo always refer to him as our secret weapon, um, you know, the designer, because he's done absolutely incredible work. Um, Mo works with him extensively on Fire Club. And um, we asked him if he wanted to do it, and then he went away and he came up with this insane idea um for the for the record that you know is like really magical looks like a pair of sunglasses and you know he's got all these hidden messages in it and i think he, he first sent us a video so alan makes everything in his kitchen at home and then sends us little iphone videos of whatever he's working on and I think, when did we see that? Oh, it was like 18, 18 yeah. months ago, maybe? Yeah. yeah, it felt like almost two years ago. Yeah, a long time. So this, this project, I mean, some projects come together really quickly. And usually, I would say, with a review like this that we've already done, you know, we've already released a version of it a few years ago. So we already have the plates for it. Um, everything's already at the production um, at the manufacturer. It would normally be a quick process, like, you know, six weeks but because this was so intricate and you know we spent alan spent a lot of time kind of perfecting this kind of these hidden messages and you know all the stuff is done with a booklet you know like the booklet is glued together with bubble gum you know and alan really creates everything from scratch you know he's got this incredible mind um so i mean it's you know this has taken a long time for for just what I would consider, you know, usually would just be a standard repress. It's turned into a much bigger thing um, and seems to have like people seem really excited by it. And, you know, when you see the finished product, it's, it's pretty incredible. Shame that the podcast is in audio only format because I wish that we could properly um, convey how 
complicated this packaging is. It's uh, it's it's pretty wild. It, it um, if if you if you guys have a second, uh, whoever's listening to this, to just Google, you know, Death Waltz, They Live reissue to see. Uh, there's a video that our our team made showing it off. It it really is. there's like a it's a bit of a magic trick, really. Uh, Alan when he found so for that video, the the aforementioned video, we literally had no idea how we did it. It was like we could not figure it out for the life of us what the magic trick was. Um, it turns out it's a little bit of sleight of hand, but it's also just a really practical, you know, piece of acetate with some printing on it, and uh, you know, uh, 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 and just a, a nice little, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's just an illusion. Uh, but in, in doing so, he manages to create an effect where you take the disc sleeve out of the jet, out of the quote unquote glasses lens and reveals text underneath it. It, it, it blew my mind, literally blew my mind, because I just had no idea that you could do something like that with the print medium. It, it's just out of control how inventive some minds really are. That's cool. That's cool. And you, I'm I'm curious. Listen, since this is a re re release, has there been a lot of um, a lot of talk of like, we want this again. Will you please release this again? Is that one of the factors in deciding to put this out? This new one out? Yeah. Uh, go on, go on, Mike. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, Spencer has his own channels that he reviews. Spencer's more active on reading up on the message boards than I am. Th- that world scares me a little bit. Um, the, the, and then also checking secondary markets is also sort of a curious thing to see what things are completely gone and if they're if they are in fact rare now, right? You know, we, we what we do is so specialized. You know, everything we do is is technically limited edition, right? I mean, we do a small run of things. And, and at the time, you say like, oh, we're doing 3,000 of these. And it seems like so many when it's sitting in your hands. But then you realize that, oh, it's like that's a drop in the bucket, depending on how many people are actually seeking it, especially if the intended audience don't know what it is. In fact, the weirdest thing that's ever happened to on the Mondo side of things, and the label was that I got a change.org petition to reissue uh, a Studio Ghibli record that we did many years ago, and it was a uh, a record that literally just it was sitting on the site for months, that like just didn't sell out. Like we thought it was going to be super popular because Studio Ghibli is like this world beloved. Uh, you know, studio of making these incredible animated films, and we did this this uh, compilation of theirs, and it just didn't disappear. It, it it didn't move very fast, and then when it finally did, it was cool. But then, like years later, it must have caught on that this thing existed, and and now there was people like literally like you know like chanting using a, a platform that's meant for a- actual change uh to be made uh asking us to re- repress this thing so i don't think it was like that would they live but i do think that there was definitely a demand for this uh for spence's last pressing of it okay did uh did you two get to work with alan Howorth or john carpenter himself uh releasing this album or get to talk with them about it yeah so the uh, like when we first released they live um John very kindly supplied us uh, liner notes for it, uh, as did Alan. Um, Alan remastered it because um, he owns the original tapes for it. Um, so, you know, we just sent John a few weeks ago copies of this new version. Um, so, I mean, that that's one of the great things of what we do is we are able to work with the people who created these things in the first place to get their blessing and get them back out in the market. So, I mean, that, you know, that's, that's like super exciting. Um, and I've, I've worked with Alan quite a lot on the audio side of things because 
I think he's not a hoarder, but he's a super cataloger. So he catalogs everything they recorded. So when we did Halloween reissue this last October, he was like, oh, by the way, I think I've got the original film reels that have never been, like, never been heard, music outside of the actual film. And then he went meticulously spent, you know, like four weeks transferring them, baking the tapes and piecing it all together. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a, if you're a geek, it's a bit of a dream come true. I mean, we often sort of joke that, you know, we have ridiculous jobs really because we get to listen to music and watch movies as part of our job, which, you know, for me is like a dream come true. Yeah, earlier earlier you you implied that it was sort of te- tedious work, and I wanted to say like actually it's it's lovely. Uh, you know the, the 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 times have changed a little bit in the last couple of years as far as um, you said the amount of pressing plants that exist. Like there's more pressing plants now than ever before. Um, it's become a bit of a cottage industry. It's it, it's 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 grown quite expensive. There's even one here in Austin, Texas now. I think there's even one in Dallas too. I don't know the name of the one in Dallas, but I know that there is a pressing plant up by you guys. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a booming industry, but as far as what we do specifically, the soundtrack market, it's, it's super surreal because it came from this obviously as being fans of music, but also being fans of movies and, you know, just giving film soundtracks, uh, an additional, you know, spotlight on top of them because, you know, the, you know, the CD market was not really moving, but people were willing to invest in these deluxe packages for, soundtracks and just the the same around time that people started buying vinyl again and it just sort of gelled but for us you know yeah they take a long time to make and sometimes you're working on a project for nearly two years like for they live for example but it always like when you get the finished product it's oh it always every single time feels super surreal like you can't believe that this is something that we get to do every day, uh, you know coming to the office metaphorically and say like oh great today I'm going to you know, get cracking on a reissue of the Nightmare on Elm Street soundtrack, you know, the original one. And just let's just let's just go for it. You know, we'll see how this goes. And a year later, you have the finished thing in your hand. You're just like, wow, like, I can't believe that 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 actually happened. Yeah, I remember when that, you know, that super fun. And it's like it's, it's you like you said, it's like it's it's a job, but it's like you never work a day in your life if you love what you do. And it seems like we all love what we do. Mu- music and movies and horror. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super fun. Preston, do you have anything? Yeah, I'd like to know a little more about you guys and how your, uh, how film and music kind of led you to your positions. Mondo. Spence, why don't you start? Yours is more interesting. It's it's not interesting. It's long because I'm old. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, I pretty I, I when I left school, I trained to be a chef. Didn't like chefing. During the weekends, I worked in record stores, and I just kind of gravitated towards working in record stores. Which I, you ask my parents, I've wasted my life doing that. Um, so I ended up working for Rough Trade. Uh, in London, which is like a, a really iconic record store, uh, and set their flagship store up in the UK. Then we were looking at opening in New York, and I was charged to move to New York and open the store. But that kept stalling. Um, and in the meantime, I just I started Default just as a side thing, just as a bit of fun, because I thought it would be interesting. Um, so the short story is I've always kind of worked 
within music in some capacity. Like back in back in '96, I released a record by uh, this San Diego hardcore band called Spanacorzo, which featured members of Swing Kids because that's my background musically. Um, and then we toured them across Europe. So I've kind of always done it. And then movies. I'm just a huge horror fan since I was a kid, since I was like, well, since I can remember, you know, like eight or nine years old. And I lived through the whole video nasties period where, you know, owning Cannibal Holocaust was illegal and you could go to jail for it, which is crazy mind blowing when you consider you can get all these things on collector's Blu-rays now. Um, and I used to run a fanzine called Psychotic Reaction. Uh, where we'd review all sort of kind of crazy low-budget horror movies. So, I mean, you know, music has always been part of my life. And, you know, I'm a big movie fan, but obviously, first and foremost, horror is the one, like, my first love because I, those are the movies that I remember. You know, I remember seeing Salem's Lot on TV when I was eight years old and didn't sleep for two days. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that, like, really leave a lasting impression on you. Um so yeah, that that's that's me basically. Yeah, there are babysitters. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, on my end, I uh, I was a uh, a tour manager for many years uh, in the like pop punk and emo scene. Um, I, I did a lot of warp tours and worked with a lot of local bands, but I, I, I traveled the world a bit for a couple of years, and then um, shortly after that. I moved to Austin, Texas with some of the uh, bandmates that I was last on tour with just because New York City, where I was born, was a little too expensive to do that and be working in the music industry. And I you know, decided I was going to like retire from the music industry, retire from that freelance life and start like, you know, doing something creative on my own. And then after like three months of not doing anything but just rather hemorrhaging the money i'd saved uh you know slowly in austin because it's a little less expensive than it was in new york i uh, i needed to get a job and so i applied to this company that i was a big fan of um i had the experience of managing a shipping department when i was in new york for a couple of years so i knew that they had a web store so i was like oh, i can help you guys ship your product and sure enough i ended up being what they needed at the time uh, the company mondo uh, was just a small little hole in the wall thing inside of a movie theater literally like the office that we worked in in 2011 was literally underneath the, the seats of a movie theater uh they called it the hobbit hole and it was this uh like it was like the being john malkovich seven and a half floor style thing you'd have to like like crouch to get into the room um it's a storage closet now thankfully um but the uh for for, for for a little while, that was just where all of Mondo sort of existed. And it was crazy that like how world renowned it was for even when I first heard of it and literally how small it was. And now it, it, it's it's significantly bigger. I mean, we have like an actual warehouse where we, we ship stuff out of and we have an office and, and it's gotten bigger. But at the same time, like when we started the soundtrack stuff, um, like I said, you know, our CEO just asked me, do you like music? And that was enough for him to take a chance on me to to take a spin at it. I mean, creatively, it was a it was a team effort. Everyone would come up with the ideas as to what, what kind of projects we should do. And then before long, it became like we should try to release one every month, you know, and then, you know, um, and then it, it ballooned from there. But still, to this day, the music department is still just me and Spencer. Um, so it, it, it's still a pretty small outfit, despite how, how big it's it's grown. But um yeah it's it's a 
it's a weird little thing where working in the music industry and having a little shipping experience got me in the door to work at a company where like um i have to honestly say and this is goes for the same uh, we our parent company is the alamo draft house the movie theater chain um to be a part of a company that's so just like takes a chance on anyone's like creative ambitions is um unlike anything i had ever experienced in my life um and as far as my relationship to movies i had also gone to film school before i went on tour so i was i was sort of in the mix as far as um like i had aspired to be a screenwriter and a filmmaker but Instead, I ended up taking a camera out on tour and documenting my friends being assholes. And then that became led me to being a tour manager. And then here I am. <laughs> that's that's a great story. Those are both great stories. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How many uh, different designers do y'all uh, typically work with where you decide, hey, yeah, maybe Alan would be really good with the simplicity for something that we want to create for they live versus somebody working on the Halloween soundtracks where they can create a great illustration? I think every pro- every project is completely different. So I think yeah. we, we, we look at each project and most times you immediately know who you want to partner them. And then sometimes you have to think about it for yeah. four months because you literally cannot, you're, it's, you're so precious about it and you realize that like no one's ever going to live up to your daydreams because it's your holy grail, right? I mean, th- there, there's been some projects like that where we literally we'll go back and forth and, and talk about who should maybe do it and how to get started on it. But then time is a factor as well. If you're trying to hit an anniversary year, if you're trying to get... To- Sorry, Mo. Go. No, no that, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, Suspiria was one of those. Suspiria is one of my all-time favorite movies. <clears throat> and when we got the license to release it on vinyl, I was just like, oh, my gosh. who? No, there is no one that can do this movie justice in my head for what I want. And But lo and behold, Randy came along, Randy Ortiz, and, and absolutely killed it. And I was just like... I love that artwork. That artwork yeah, man. It, I was just like, holy smokes. This is incredible. But for, you know, two months, I was sat there going, no, I can't get anyone to do this. I, we're not going to be able to release it because it's mm-hmm. to, to, to what it needs to be. Um, yeah. And sometimes artists reach out to us and they're just like, hey, if you ever, for some reason, get the rights to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, let me know. I have this great idea. It's riffing on a Dio cover, uh, you know, and, and you see it and you go like, holy shit, that's great. And then, you know, we don't necessarily, you know, we will seek it out if it's something that we want to do. Um, sometimes that happens too, you know. Now, do you have a collection of artists that you usually draw from? Or is it something, something like you said, like somebody will reach out to us and if we like it, we'll use it. Is that usually the case? Oh, yeah. Well, let me clarify. It's not just like anybody. It's, it's from the pool of artists that we typically work with. I mean, that pool is constantly expanding. Um, you know, when I first started the company, there was probably like 20 to 30 artists that we regularly rotated through and now I'd say there's closer to 100 um, that are in our family you know um, you know and they're all working freelance artists people from the comic book industry people from fine art people from who are just proper painters and illustrators people who strictly only work in pop culture um, but a lot of times it just comes from recommendations of other people I mean our artists that we work with have other friends who are also artists and sometimes they'll be like oh, hey, have you ever heard of this person? And then we'll look at their stuff and be like, oh my God, this person's amazing. They'd be perfect for X, Y, or Z, you know? Um, 
and that's sort of how it goes. And then like, you know, that once they're part of the family, they're sort of just always someone that we will, if we have an idea for them, we'll reach out to them to see if they're interested in working on a project, you know? Uh, and again, for them, timelines are a factor as well. You know, it, a lot of times we'll get crazy deadlines where it'll be like, oh, hey, we're doing the next Marvel movie and it comes out in four weeks. Can you do a poster for it? And be like, are you kidding me? Get real. Like I have 17 other jobs. But then sometimes they'll be like, yeah, this is my favorite. I'm so excited for this movie. Can I, I'll, I'll do everything. I'll drop everything and do something for it. Um, you know, no, that's, that's cool. And I, I, I'm curious. So both of you being basically the record label here, um, I'm curious, do you, would y'all just be sitting down like watching something like reanimator and you call one another like, Hey, why haven't we done this yet? Let's get this out. Is that how that kind of comes up, or is there like a, or do you have stuff like way down the pipeline that you're trying to do? Um, I how? think we both have a, a wish list. You know, you have when you when you start something like this, and it seems to strike a chord with people, and people enjoy it as much as you enjoy making them. Um, then you kind of put together a wish list. You know, I mean, I've got. We both have grails, you know, that we 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 desperately one day we hope we're going to be able to release. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it isn't, you know. Um, Can you but, talk about those you, grails at all? <laughs> oh yeah, all the time, all the time. I mean, there's been well, one of my favorite stories uh, from working with Spencer was that he was we were in the I can't remember how it came up, but I feel like at one point I mentioned that it would be like a dream come true for me to do the Amelie soundtrack, this French film from 2001. Oh, great we film. were at breakfast was, in LA. We were having breakfast we were in LA. Breakfast in LA. And Spencer was just like, oh yeah, I know the composer. He reached out to me and asked me if Death Waltz would release it. And I said, no, Death Waltz is a horror label. <laughs> <laughs> and I stared at him. I stared at him with my, my jaw slacked open and I was just like you just swatted away like my grail and he's just like yeah I'll call I'll, I'll reach out to him and you know we'll, we'll try and you know that's, that's something we're, we're actively working on now and it, you know, and many, it wasn't, many years later it wasn't the case of I do not like that film or that score but at the time this was when I was running Death Waltz on my own before I joined Mondo and I was like there's no way Death Waltz recording company could release the Amelie soundtrack it's it just it's too weird for us, Spice Perfect now because we have the two labels. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean that that I do remember most face actually, like that yeah. was, it's pretty yeah. funny. So yeah. you know, we're lucky that we can we we're lucky that we have these two labels. Well, we have three labels with the Defaults Originals, the offshoot label, but we we can position these things exactly where they need to be. Whereas before, yeah, I couldn't really have seen Death Waltz releasing Amelie because it's just didn't fit the label profile, but obviously more than fits Mondo, like it's made for it. So we've, we're very lucky in that respect. No, the other aspect is that as, as long as it keeps going on, obviously we start chipping away at those grails and then all of a sudden you think like oh there's there, there's not enough soundtracks in the world that could ever satisfy you know once i've passed this this finish line like i'm done right i, I you know we released i released magnolia that's like one of my favorite soundtracks of all time like i'll never be able to do anything better than that and then you realize like oh now that that's like out of the way you realize all these other films that you would love to do you know and like i say i know this is a horror podcast so i'm i'm, I'm dropping all these little like 
non-horror nuggets but i mean like it, it does seem like we, we've done nightmare on elm street we've done halloween right but that, that, now that we've done those things it is um interesting to see sort of what rises to the top after that because you go like oh yeah now like like spence has this incredible eye for for new releases and he finds these incredible like soon to be cult classics these genre films that come through in the film festival circuit and he finds the ones that are like really really stand out and have the most amazing soundtracks and takes a chance on them and then next thing you know like we have this incredible film that people have been responding to you know like it's 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 really magical it's like thelma i'm excited for that release oh so good yeah man i mean hands down love that movie wish more people had seen it can't believe that they didn't everyone should go and watch it you know revenge all, all those kinds of movies are like that that also keeps i think that also keeps the label fresh and interesting because you know we are we are not just releasing or re-releasing kind of old classics we're also i, I mean one of the big things for me is that i also want to foster these guys like Rob, who did Revenge and Maniac, and Ben Lovett, who did The Ritual, and we're just about to start working with him on The Wind. Like, you want to be able to foster these guys so they are the next generation of classic composers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that for me, is, is very exciting as well. I love, I love being able to do that. Very cool. That's cool. So, is there anything else you want to ask before we move on? Uh, I guess my my uh, last question is more in line for me, but has there ever been any talk between you guys of Mondo, Death Waltz, release of Once More with Feeling, Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical episode on vinyl? <laughs> uh, back me in a corner there. Uh, so there, before before I answer you, there's, there's this... Uh, our social media, the, 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 our, our head of marketing, rather, uh, Mary Rose Wiley, she, every time we drop a new release title, there's this one person on Twitter who responds to it. The first, the first response every single time with a gif of Buffy <laughs> giving us a side eye because she had heard through the grapevine that we were doing Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And she, that's, that it start, used to be like, what, no Buffy? And now it's literally just the gif every single release. So it's like without fail. <laughs> She, and, and Mary Rose is just like, like, can I, can I say something to her? Can I, can I tell this person that like this is coming? And yeah, I mean, we're we're, we're doing it. it, it uh, the artist who did the artwork for it, uh, I mean, this is another thing that took like two years to make. Um, painted those images about like oh, about two years ago at this point, and uh, said and, and like just shared them casually on his social media because he's like an he's a, an older gentleman who doesn't quite understand the sensitivities of social media, and he just like posted it on Instagram. I'm working on and we have to be like Paul, Paul this is a secret for now but people caught wind and when the, the rumor started and then yes ever since then we've had to be like yeah it's coming it's coming it's coming and like now I can finally tell everyone literally I have a copy in my hand right now as I'm talking to you like here in the office like they're done they're coming out in March um, and uh, it, the only reason for the delay is just sometimes those things take forever uh, there, there's a lot of weird stuff that people don't know about like how complicated it is to get like likenesses approved and artwork approved and to get everyone back in the same room again people who haven't thought about something for 15 20 years but contractually have the right to say yes or no to something um those are the things that take the longest a lot of times just getting like you know a record pressed is is a breeze compared to um convincing somebody that they should answer an email to just look at a picture and say green light yes or no you know to something 
Right. That's awesome. I'm so excited. You've made me so excited right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 an amazing, amazing soundtrack, and um, I'm I'm I was excited about it then when we first got the got the rights to do it, and I'm like very excited for how excited people seem to be about the prospect of us doing it. Because you know, like, every time we do something, it always feels like a bit of a gamble because we're just gonna like shot in the dark. You know, we haven't done a ton of musicals, um, sadly. Um, and so whenever we get into that territory, um, I know Buffy's beloved, but still we, we haven't really crossed into that genre too extensively. Um, so yeah, I, I'm happy that people are excited because like, I, I, I grew up going to Broadway shows and, and, and loving proper musicals and our, and our, our co-founder, um, of Mondo, Rob Jones is like a diehard Judy Garland fan. And, and so the aesthetic to the, um, the packaging is very like playbill, like show tune style musical um, in the packaging. And I think it's really, really lovely. And it comes with its own little playbill. It's called a sleigh bill and uh, it has lyrics and everything in it. It's, 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 it's a gorgeous little piece and I hope people will really like it as much as we do. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> well, um, let's move on to our next section, which is a very fun section. Um, it's, Bloody questions, my bloody questions, where we ask a fun uh, horror movie theme question, and uh, this week is a doozy, Preston, I think you came up with this hilarious one. Uh, we read the question, we'll answer it, and then we actually post on Reddit the question, and we'll read some of the funny answers uh, from there as well, but uh, Preston. Yes, yeah, so uh, this week I have, if you could drop one of your favorite horror characters into another horror property to see how they'd stack against that film situation, which character and what film would you pick and why? So, uh, Spencer, do you want to kick it off for us? <laughs> why me? Because you're the horror guy. <laughs> you are the horror guy, Spencer. Yeah, this is it. This is, this, this is pressure. Um, all right. Full disclosure. People will hate me for this. I'm not a huge fan of the Friday the 13th franchise. Um, I don't think Jason is a particularly interesting villain. Really sorry. Um, I would drop Jason into the cabin in the Evil Dead just so I could see him being tormented and ripped apart by. <laughs> <laughs> For the rest of eternity, because he can't die. That's pretty that, good. I hadn't thought about the idea of torturing somebody instead of like giving them like a leg up. That's so funny. You took such a cynical approach to this. I didn't think that that would be the way to go. <laughs> oh gosh, no, that just says more about me than it does about. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. All right, what about you, Mo? Um. Yeah, Spencer already told me that my answer to this was was none more eighties. Uh, I uh, <laughs> I uh, I said I would actually like to see the uh, the the Monster Squad kids dropped into the gate. I want to see <laughs> them spinning spinning sacrifice and then uh, and then dealing with the consequences of that. <laughs> I think that make for better. I think make for better the gate that. too. Sorry, Spence. No, oh, no, you actually thought about the question. I just wanted to see someone being torn apart. <laughs> that is pretty good. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, mine's 
kind of similar to Spencer's uh, in, in that I picked uh, Jason. However, um, I would like to drop Herbert West into any of the Friday the 13th films for him to resurrect all the victims that Jason kills just to see how he responds to that through frustration. Just something I want to see what that reaction would be if uh, he kept bringing them back to life and then they just won't die. That that's a lot of victims to bring back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many people Jason has killed. Yeah, Jason has killed a lot of people, right? Like it's a lot. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, you want to hear mine? Go for it. All right. I would actually like to drop Rowdy Roddy Piper from They Live into the role of Tangina in Poltergeist. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the family calling Rowdy Roddy Piper over to take care of the situation? It would just, I think it would be Oscar gold, really. <laughs> oh, but then we wouldn't have uh, Zelda Rubenstein. And I love her. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, that sounds, that's a brilliant idea. I think that would be fun. Uh, but yeah, I would love to see that. But let's go to Reddit. Uh, Pitiful Youth on Reddit uh, suggested Beetlejuice into the Saw movies, uh, which I thought was be pretty interesting. <laughs> um, Overzealous Asaurus said Jason Voorhees in Aliens, the James Cameron version, Space Marines fighting Jason X fighting Xenomorphs. <laughs> that's what they want wow. uh dude dog gale said the final girl from the first descent movie into dawn of the dead after dealing with subterranean bat people i think she could handle anything <laughs> uh Rementa said i'd like to drop snake pliskin into the middle of the wizard of oz so i thought about that and i feel like that would be a glorious new version of wizard of oz if snake pliskin was in it uh, would he be Dorothy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> would he because, be sent you know, there to in, get in Escape Dorothy? From New, in, in Escape from New York, I mean, he's pretty much dropped, dropped into New York. Doesn't know where he is. That's I mean, true. It's like Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it is, man. Yeah. Um, and and then... his poor guy is uh, the Scarecrow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> be I'm funny. trying to think who else is in that movie off the top of my head. Um Donald Pleasance is like, uh, I guess he'd have to be the wizard, right? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm getting too carried away. I love Wizard of Oz, by the way. <laughs> I do too. Jeezer <laughs> uh, Gamer said Hannibal Lecter into John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Yeah, imagine him tied up in the shack in the, uh, in the chair. Yeah, that'd have been amazing. That that would be <laughs> that would be great. And then the last one uh, that I'll read: Underwater Alienists uh, said I'd enjoy watching Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two in The Hangover, which is in I guess a horror movie. <laughs> oh but... my god! Yeah, that would be uh, that would be amazing. <laughs> we always get great comments on Reddit, and uh, if you want to answer uh, this great question you can email us at mybloodypodcast at gmail.com 
uh, and we'll read them on the air. Uh, but yes, uh, thanks for uh, taking part in our bloody questions. Let's move on to our next topic, my bloody recommendations, where we'll each give a horror movie recommendation um, or even a horror movie soundtrack if you want to, uh, new or vintage or old, and tell uh, why people should listen or watch this film. Uh, Spencer, do you want to go first? Oh, um, okay. Movie, uh, it's absolutely terrible. Uh, it's called Blood Rage from, it was made in 1983 and it didn't even get released until 1987. And it's about two twins. One of them, when they're very young, kills uh, a couple that are making out and driving and wipes the blood on his brother, and his brother goes to a mental institution for about 17 years and then gets let out, and it's mayhem. But it's really dumb, but it's really fun, and the soundtrack's amazing. If I was just going to recommend a soundtrack, it would be The Legend of Hell House, 1973 movie with uh, Ronnie McDowell, which is Delia Derbyshire and Brian Hodgson um, from the Radiophonic Workshop. He did the original Doctor Who theme tune, and it's the most incredible spooky electronic soundtrack heard and no we can't release it because the tapes were lost in the fire well very cool very cool mo do you have one yeah so uh simultaneously that we were doing the soundtrack thing over here i was also helping a company called bleeding skull video do their vhs and dvd releases and over the course that i saw some real gems that like kind of blew my mind that like you know their whole, their whole thing they specialize on shot and video stuff and that like never really saw any proper theatrical release but uh were still worthwhile all the same my favorite one that i saw in my years doing that was a movie called heavy metal massacre i don't know if you guys have ever heard of it it's a 1989 shot on video film made by this guy named, well, he called himself Bobby Young. I, I won't give away his real name because that gives away the illusion, but he ended up, like, many years later distancing himself from the movie because in the film he's this, like, scrawny metalhead who goes to clubs, picks up chicks, and then murders them. And then later on he became this, like, big, like, like you know, like, beefy, like, wrestling dude. Uh, and so, like, that scrawny version of himself literally kind of killed him to, like, become this different person. But in the movie itself, it is, it's this, like, it's so hard to explain. There will be sequences where, like, you, you the, when the killer, uh, Bobby Young, takes these women back to his house, there will be these sequences where he just, like, pans across his apartment for, like, 45 seconds just very sh like slowly showing off all of his cool shit it would feel like the weirdest most like like uh like oh hey look at my shit kind of movie ever and there'd be like long sequences of, of him making women undress him and then but at the same time he would never have sex with them it was like this really really weird uh super fragile kind of macho masculinity that was also at the time when like you know men wore their hair kinky and curly and wore uh, makeup but then at the same time, still had the wherewithal to be a slasher film. It, it's out of control. I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> and, uh, and as far as soundtracks concerned, um, I, I, I'm, I'm pulling one from uh, one of my favorite releases we ever do. Whenever I have a chance to talk about this soundtrack, uh, I, I feel like I need to highlight it. But the soundtrack to this movie called The Visitor 
um, is still one of my favorite soundtracks that I've ever heard. And I, I would never have heard of it unless I worked with this company. But uh, uh, our parent company had a distributor, a distribution arm called Draft House Films, and they picked up the theatrical rights to distribute this film um, a couple of years ago. And then we released the soundtrack. And the first, from the from the opening minute of the first track of that soundtrack. Um, my my, I feel like my life was changed, and it is such a weird, weird movie. Uh, Spencer, are you a fan of The Visitor? Yeah, it's great. It's bizarre, man. When you watch yeah. that movie, and and yeah, Franco's score is incredible. Yeah, the movie is weird enough, but the soundtrack it's 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 one of the most triumphant Italian funk, like bombastic soundtracks that I've ever heard, and it's it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle, and I cannot recommend it enough. Awesome. Yeah, check that out. Uh, Preston, what about you, man? What's your bloody recommendation of the day? Uh, my bloody recommendation this week, um, my timing is a little bit off, but I guess since we're coming off the Chinese New Year this past Tuesday, uh, it still works. But um, it's a 1986 film, and also like Spencer's pick, it's a bit ridiculous and absurd, goes well with alcohol and rowdy friends, would be perfect for Alamo Drafthouse's video vortex that they do. And it's uh, 1986's Bloody New Year. And it was re-released by uh, Vinegar Syndrome this past January. And um, it's essentially a Scooby-Doo-like story of these jerk teenagers who uh, are shipwrecked and they wind up on an island that's and then they find an abandoned hotel so it's kind of like a scooby-doo story that's sent through the filter of the shining and evil dead in that the abandoned hotel is a bit of a time warp and it takes them back to like the 19 late 1950s and uh the aesthetics of the film the way that it's shot um some of the musical cues and things like that, they kind of reflect uh, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. Uh, it's a it's a very dumb movie. Um, it uh, The character motivations are very unclear, a lot of head-scratching moments, but a lot of joy can come from uh, watching somebody uh, sink into quicksand and then having a bad guy kill them with a, a, a weed whacker. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty out there, but, uh, my, uh, bloody new year, um, soundtrack wise, uh, we've talked about it on the show before, but, um, one of my favorite scores of all time is from 1979 zombie. I listen to that score, uh, whenever I'm writing reviews, um, and same thing with, uh, it follows uh, Disaster Pieces uh, creation for that film, Rich Vreeland. And so I enjoy both of those soundtracks. So those are all my recommendations. I love it. I love it. Uh, my bloody recommendation of the day comes from the year 1970, and it is Jess Franco's Nightmares Come at Night. Jess Franco, no relation, um, is ba- was basically the Woody Allen of a sleazy almost uh, horror grindhouse films back in the day. Um, He died recently at the age of 82 and was still making these crazy movies. He made movies like Vampiros Lesbos and Dracula vs. Frankenstein, but Nightmare Comes at Night uh, follows like 
pretty much all of his movies, actresses who are mostly naked the entire movie. This uh, this lady in the movie named Anna is a burlesque dancer who leaves her job and uh, hooks up with a customer who is also another woman named Cynthia, and they begin a relationship, and Anna begins to have brutal, murderous, bloody nightmares that might be real. Uh, a super fun... Ver- I mean, the movie was probably made for like $5, uh, and it's just so much fun to watch. Actually, you'll probably say to yourself, what the hell am I watching here? But it's super trippy, has that psychedelic feel, uh, and horror element to it, which is su- too much fun. 1970s uh, Nightmares Come at Night. I believe uh, Kino Lober uh, released it, if you can find it. It is great. In my soundtrack that I would like to recommend, I think one of my favorite horror soundtracks for sure, David Newman's uh, 1980 film or 1986 score Critters because it's uh, it has Terrence Mann singing Power of the Night in an 80s rock ballad. There's a Critters rap in it and there is this sweet also uh, very uh, eerie music through the whole film and I love that. Love that soundtrack. If you can find it on vinyl, more power to you. It's very difficult to find. I was lucky enough to find one a few years ago, and it is just perfect. Do y'all remember that? I don't remember. I don't remember the Critters rap. Now so I feel it, like I need to hunt that down. It's at the end of the film. Uh, there's a Critters rap, and it's great. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Power of the Night, Johnny Steele, uh, actually Terrence Mann, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I love. Uh, great film, great film. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I love Critters. Those are, uh, yeah, if, oh, man, I, I know that's a super rare record to find. Hopefully one day it will be re-released. Hint, hint. <laughs> um, but uh, let's move on for our last little segment uh, in release, in, in conjunction with the release of They Live Record. Let's talk about the movie itself. I mean, this movie was John Carpenter's last 80s film after this. It was the 90s, and, you know, he did Memoirs of Invisible Man, which was very unlike him. And then I think uh, one of my favorite films that he's done, In the Mouth of Madness, was in the 90s. But before that, uh, 1988, he did Rowdy Roddy Piper, Keith David, Meg Foster, and a kind of film that is almost similar to Invasions of Body Snatchers, but I think much cooler in a John Carpenter way. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, What... Uh, Mo or Spence, what do you what do you guys think about this film? I just uh, we just screened it uh, in conjunction with the release of the soundtrack, so I got to see it on the big screen again uh, for the first time in maybe like three or four years. And every time I watch it, uh, when Spence wrote the copy for the product, it was riddled with all these weird phrasings that I just did not remember were from the movie. Like the Brazilian plastic surgeon line, Spence, that you wrote, I was just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. "That's a really, that's a very weird thing for you to write in this product <laughs> copy." And then I watched the movie, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's right!" Like literally, like it's like as if they just didn't like either. John wrote all those words. I actually don't know. I never did the research into this, or they literally just didn't edit Roddy. You know, like that they just let him go off, like just have a fucking ball. Like the, some of the things he says are just like so confounding and brilliant at the same time. I absolutely adore everything that he says in that movie, and and his line reads too. Like he is just so, like, you know, he really does change from the minute he his eyes are opened, right? Like he 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 cannot, he has no filter anymore. It's like it's like he just literally there's nothing that can stop him 
from speaking his mind. He just has to like tell everyone how he feels. He he can't be discreet. Everything is just like like mouth vomit. It's it, a word vomit. It's it's incredible. It, it's it's that cool because I think a year prior to this movie coming out, uh, in a cool instance. John Carpenter was actually at WrestleMania 3, which you know is famous for Hulk Hogan body slamming Andre the Giant, but at that same uh at that same show Rowdy Roddy Piper beat Adrian Adonis in a hair versus hair match. Uh, and the two met. <laughs> uh if you don't remember Adonis, he he was like a crazy uh wrestler who had long blonde hair and he dressed it he had dresses and scarves on it was really funny but i guess carpenter like really loved rowdy roddy piper's like this guy just is the essence of this character cast him and i was like oh that's amazing uh and i think he just like came across like a wrestler almost like a very subdued wrestler uh where he just like is constantly telling his feelings and passion (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because he's not a great actor, let's be honest. But he delivers every single one of those lines absolutely perfectly, man. Like, yeah. And you can just tell he's having a ball. And, and that movie is bonkers still relevant, man. Maybe right. even more so today. I mean, I read a couple of weeks ago that, that an interview with John, and he said that um, um, the guys who did the recent Planet of the Apes uh, – remakes had oh, Matt Reeves, sequel. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Matt Reeves. Sorry, I couldn't remember his name. Um he had developed a sequel to They Live, which then got got canned. But I was like, wow, I'd be super interested in in that. You could do I think you could do a sequel to this today and it would Yeah. You know, and, be really and you cool. could open up the world a little bit more since this one takes primarily and takes place primarily in Los Angeles. But what is the rest of the world like? Yeah. Kind of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers being in San Francisco. Like yeah. what does the rest of the world look like? There is so much good dialogue in this movie. Like it's it's incredible. Like the the guy with the beard who says, you know, yeah. they are dismantling the sleeping middle class. More and more people are becoming poor. With the cattle, we're being bred for slavery. It's like, that doesn't sound like it's coming out of a lower budget kind of sci-fi horror movie. It, that feels like the, someone speaking about what's happening today. It's like, right. it was yeah. very ahead of its time, man. I mean, I know at the time it was speaking towards Reaganomics, etc., but it just feels like it's gr- like movie has grown in stature you know it's an, it's a it, one of my favorite films by carpenter it, sure. it, it is so good and uh the and you can't talk about this film without talking about the six minute fight scene in the streets <laughs> which was parodied on south park for sure um, yeah but i mean the fight scene alone that fight scene alone is so great but then also you have rowdy rowdy piper going into a bank full of people with a gun <laughs> saying his famous line i mean it's oh i and i wish they would do a sequel because i mean you could technically get the rock to be in the sequel like do the whole wrestler thing again <laughs> <laughs> yeah you'd have to cast a wrestler the next time as well right I, I i wonder i worry that the rock might be too on the nose maybe you get like a john cena or someone else who's up and coming but that fight scene i think is my favorite thing that i took away from this time that i didn't remember from the many times that i watched it but is that like it's one of the few action movies or movies that has like an action set piece where the person clearly looks like they've been through a fight 
And so the scene afterwards where they're walking to the hotel is one of my like favorites, like little like denouements in, in in cinema where it's just like, okay, and now here's the like refractory period where like they literally have to hobble up a flight of steps because they are so bruised, like <laughs> lips are puffy and, and swollen. And like they, just, they basically need, need a day off after that because like they literally just beat the shit out of each other for six straight minutes. It's so funny. Preston, what do you think about it? Uh, yeah, I'd be echoing everybody here. Um, it's funny that we, we said that earlier about it being ahead of its time because two weeks ago, I believe, we reviewed Screamers, and I feel that They Live has uh, resembles Philip K. Dick's kind of work where we can watch Blade Runner, we can watch Screamers, and we can pick meanings out of it that kind of resemble what we're going through today. But um, so... I grew up with this movie, but my wife had never seen it. So we watched it. She watched it for the first time last night and she was on her phone during the first 30 minutes. But once he puts on the glasses, that's when she was really into it. And then when it came to the fight scene, she's like, Oh, they're, they're, they're still going. Okay. They're still going. (laughs) So it's just funny. Like how somebody who maybe has never seen it, reacts to it today but still can appreciate that it has all these different themes uh that uh resemble today and so um, yeah, yeah it's, it still holds up that's the key to the movie right you can right. you can you can appreciate it and you can watch it on whatever level you want you can you can watch it just for fun with buddies because yeah you've got this like ridiculous art fight scene all these like funny dialogues you know but then you can get really into the minutia of it and, and, and about how it's, it's, all, it's all about class, um, money. It's super interesting, man. John, like John Carpenter, total, he's like a total punk rocker, man, anti-establishment. Mm-hmm. The fact that Universal funded this movie blows my mind, man. Yeah. It's razor sharp because, yeah, I mean, it needs those moments to like of levity. Which, like, at the when I first saw it, I was, like, so mortified by, like, how, like, on the nose it was. Like, how, like, yeah, this is, like, this is terrifying because it's true. But, like, you know, when those moments, those moments of levity are really important because otherwise he would be, it'd be the most depressing movie ever made. Because it's just literally, like, shining a light, like, into a mirror and right. bouncing back at you about, you know, the lives that everyone leads today and how we choose to be just to get through it. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a really, truly brilliant piece of cinema that like, yeah, I mean the, the best thing that could happen for it in the world, like of all the things that have been remade of John Carpenter's films, like I like the Halloween remake, but like, you know, there's not a lot of meat on that bone as far as like th- the themes of it, you know, like mm-hmm. I would rather see someone tackle an interesting reevaluation of they live so that more American audiences can see it so they can maybe understand a little bit better how the power dynamics that are at play in this nation specifically are uh, are sort of uh <laughs> exploitative to say the least right yeah Being and, and also by... go ahead no 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 I, I was gonna say something complete throwaway so you carry on uh, no just gonna, just gonna list some of those you know being manipulated by the media and being uh consumed by consumerism yeah absolutely it would um do well for 
having a sequel today. Also, the aliens look amazing. Yeah. Such an incredible design, yeah. man. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I got to ask about the, you know, the vinyl record itself, like the actual vinyl. It's like this gorgeous blue and purple. Does that at all reflect the the aliens themselves, like the eye and their their whole design? Yep, totally. Yep, that's it. Yeah, yeah, no, no. We, 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 you know, we we called that the formaldehyde face uh, variant just because it it was, you know, like there's only so much you can do with the vinyl format as far as the the colors. I mean, there's a lot you can do, but like you can't like, you know, just make it perfect. But we we chose the color scheme to match their skin tone, and and we did a cool reverse splatter effect on it to give it a little bit of an extra texture that uh, that made it look more unique than just a regular. Um, splattered wreck. That's awesome. No, it it looks it looks great. The pictures I've seen look great, and I can't wait to get my hands on one of those copies because what y'all have been doing. I think with the first Mondo release was the Beyond, right? Uh, it was a, a Maniac. We only five hundred of those, and it and it went very quickly. That was okay. before we knew that there was even like a market for this sort of stuff. Yeah, we did Jason Boy's Maniac, and then and then like a couple months later, we did the Beyond. Okay, so I I've been have getting Mondo stuff since then, and it's just cool to see how every all the work that goes into all the the really cool colors you put in on the actual uh, wax and the artwork, the liner notes. It's just like you you're releasing all the music for the people who actually really love it. So thank you guys. No, thank you. That's it's very very kind of you. It's um, um, it's very generous. Oh, it's great. Um, and I, I think that brings uh, close to this episode, my bloody podcast. Um, I'm just so excited that y'all both got to come on the show. Y'all, y'all agreed, Spencer Hickman and Mo Shafiq. Uh, can you tell our audience where they can find you if you want, uh, like on social media or on your websites or anything like that? Yeah, for for all the records that we've been talking about and more, we 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 do we love the vinyl community. We distribute um, our our website sort of acts like a record store as well. We well, me Spencer Spencer is a goddamn genius, and he he finds all these amazing records from all around the world, both really great synth and soundtrack scores that we haven't released, and we carry them as well. So if you are just into soundtracks, you're into synth, you're into like horror adjacent sounding music. Uh, Mondotees.com is the website, and if you click on the music section, you can go through these, you know, hundreds of records that are either ours or uh, our friends from other label releases, um, spanning the last couple of years. Our stuff goes out of print. Um, we do, you know, we we have certain limitations what we how many we can sell and how many we can make, but we're we release basically a new release every week. Would you say, Spence, at this point? So. Um, if it you don't doesn't see something stop, like, man. No, nope, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't uh, so sign up for our newsletter, and you'll be sure to find something that you do like down the line. Um, and then, as far as social media is concerned, you can find us at Mondo News and um, uh, at on Instagram and Twitter. And me personally, I'm at Moshafiq on Twitter. Awesome, very cool, Preston. Where can they find you online? Uh, you can find my weekly theatrical reviews on DittonRC.com, the Ditton Record Chronicle, and I'm the features editor of FreshFiction.tv. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Preston Barta, B-A-R-T-A. And on Instagram, where I'm a little more active, I'm posting daily movie recommendation, movie recommendations and uh, highlighting like 
a lot of the cool latest releases from Scream Factory and Vinegar Syndrome and Arrow Video, so stuff like that. So there I am. Sweet, and you can find me at HighDefDigest.com and BoomstickComics.com, iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and of course, Valentine's Day is coming up. You know what you gotta do. You gotta go out, go to MondoTees.com and buy this record, They Live, for your significant other. Buy two copies. <laughs> that's what you gotta do. That's that's the way to I'm do it. <laughs> uh, but thank you again uh, for coming on the show. Yeah. I really appreciate it. No, thanks Thank for having you. us. And we'd love to have you back on the show uh, for future releases. Yeah, thank you. We'd love to. All right. Thank we'll you we'll so probably, well, I'll be there for South by Southwest, but me and Brian go down to Fantastic Fest. So oh, we cool. should, will uh, you be at Texas Frightmare? Yes. Uh, yes, I will be. We will yeah. both be. Cool. So, so will we. we. We'll, uh, we we'll have to grab, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll do to grab a drink. Well, cool, cool, cool. And welcome to my bloody overtime podcast. Uh, this is uh, our collection of thoughts uh, after the main show. Brian Kluger, Press and Barta here. We're trying this out. We'll see if it works. Uh, we wanted to do this this overtime uh, with because we saw a horror movie this week that comes out this week, and we wanted to talk about it because I do believe we both enjoyed it. We've had a uh, We've had a good 24 hours or more since we've watched it, and I think we both enjoyed it, and I even enjoyed it more so now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, t- of course, talking about The Prodigy, which is a horror film uh, that is coming out this week on Friday, uh, and it is part of Orion Pictures. Orion Pictures, you know, back in the 80s, gave us stuff like RoboCop, Terminator, First Blood, um, and they kind of, like, they've never gone away, but they've, you know, they've just released very minor, never heard of films up until last year where they released Anna and the Apocalypse, the zombie Christmas musical, and now with this straight horror film, The Prodigy, uh, directed by Nicholas McCarthy, who gave us the movie The Pact, which came out several years ago. I saw that at a film festival. Um, And now we have The Prodigy, which is a... Actually, I really like this horror film. They go to some places that I haven't seen before that I just want a whole universe of movies uh, with this uh, storyline. Preston, what do you think? Yeah, it's uh, in my review that I wrote on the Denton Record Chronicle. I, I, I talked about it being like the nightmare version of a dog's purpose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because... Uh, I mean, like, if you look at the log line for the film, like on IMDb, it does not hint at like what the real movie is about. Just kind of makes it look like your typical, uh, really smart kid, and bad things happen, a la The Omen. And so, um, but there's much more to it, and you learn. I I feel like this movie is not holding its secrets back at all. It's a rather predictable film and that was some of the criticisms that we heard when we walked out of the movie is just like man i felt like i could call out everything that was happening before it actually happened and uh but admittedly the movie even though you know where it's going and what the final destination may be um there's really good drama here and i think that was the most surprising thing about it like it has a lot of those typical 
horror ingredients like it tits its hat to films like the omen and the exorcist and um um, a child's play in that the beginning involved the beginning of the film which i think is a pretty i know brian i think you said that you weren't sure if you liked the movie or not until after the 15 minute mark but i was kind of surprised by its cold open that it has because i guess we're coming pretty hot off of the release of halloween the 2018 version where it also has a cold open i just felt that it didn't it wasn't as effective but in this one it has some pretty clever parallel editing that involves a woman busting out of a house and uh, i leaned over to brian a little ways through the film and said you know that opening shot reminded me a lot of the opening of the dark night because the dark night opens with the camera zooming in or moving closer to uh, a glass window and this one it's moving closer to a door and then the woman punches her way out and you have no idea what she's running from but you've seen enough horror movies especially the end of horror movies uh to know that it's not a good thing and so um it ends up being uh she's been held captive by this hungarian serial killer and uh the hungarian serial killer is caught uh, the SWAT team comes in, takes him down. He commits uh, suicide by police. And meanwhile, the movie's cutting back and forth between that disturbing setting and a, a loving couple giving birth to their first child. And through its mirroring images, we can pick up within the first five minutes of the movie that the soul of this Hungarian serial killer is going to pass on into this uh, poor soul of yeah, their poor. son, Miles. Yeah, and so. it's, it, it, it does a really good job explaining that. Or, like, it like hits you over the head, like, you know, for better yeah. or worse with it. But once the movie ends, and you're like, wow, they really opened up, like, literally, like, I don't like to say it, but, like, a whole universe of, like, possibilities here. And, right. you know, I told Preston after the screen, I was like, you know, this kind of... Is uh, resembles a little bit or reminds me of that Mike Cahill movie we saw, I Origins, where right. you know this sort of thing is happening. But what or Cloud Atlas? Yeah, Cloud Atlas. Yes, but what um, the director here does so well, uh, Nicholas McCarthy, is that he has almost a slow burn of suspense, including a highly effective therapy scene. But where you think the movie is going to go, it goes the opposite way in a certain like direction of like, oh. To a certain point. Like it'll build up towards like an area where you're like, I know where this is going to go. But then it just completely abandons that, especially, and we're not going to spoil it when it comes to the very end of the movie. Correct. Correct, correct, correct. Uh, and it, it it's actually it's a good horror movie. I, I really liked it. Ta- the only recognizable name in the movie is Taylor Schilling, and you'll recognize her if you've only seen Orange is the New Black. She's the uh, main cast member there. Uh, but she does a good job here. It, it, the, the movie, I just... I immediately want, like, a prequel or a sequel to this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in The Kid, too, you would recognize him as Georgie from the new It movie. Oh, yeah, correct. Yeah, he is Georgie from the past It movie. And he is 
he he does a good job here. And like, there's a couple of moments where, you know, depending on like the audience you're with, they might laugh at certain things uh, because yeah. some of it. Well, that's because there's some good scares in here, and right. usually, like your your instinct is to laugh it off. A nervous, yeah, a nervous laugh. Yeah. So no, we I think we really liked it, uh, and if yeah. you know. Before you go see Lego Movie 2, which will make hundreds of millions of dollars, give this low-budget horror movie a shot for Orion Pictures because it needs it. it, it you need We need more movies like this and not Lego Movie 2. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. that's. Uh, do you have anything else to say about it? No. That was right. pretty, pretty much it. Well, that was uh, my bloody overtime on my bloody podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And we will be back next week with an all-new episode. Thank you for listening.